welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Chloe, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Of, of course, it's my pleasure. How are things out in San Francisco? Well, it's a little chilly here. Um, I've been wearing my gloves and my. I recently got my very first fur headband, and I've never been one for fur, but once I touched it, I rabbit fur in Tahoe, I said, I understand Corella DeVille. Like, I, I get her <laughs> motives now. <laughs> so we're bundled up over here. <laughs> oh, nice. So I'm I'm curious, what's, what's bundled up in San Francisco, temperature-wise? Well, usually it's, it's pretty standard to leave your apartment with a light jacket that's mm-hmm. sufficient. I think John Mulaney has a really funny joke that he usually says that says that in the the seal of San Francisco should be someone going back into their apartment to grab a light coat. Um, but these days I'm seeing a lot of Patagonia puppy vests and hats and gloves. It's very rare that I see a glove in San Francisco, probably because we're usually on our phones. Um, but it has been chilly. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, nice. It's uh, so it's it's heating up here in Boston. I wonder if it's even warmer here now that it is out there which would be really cool oh my gosh it wouldn't surprise me i'm just my i'm not used to anything like below 60 or above 70 we're very spoiled here mm. that sounds pretty awesome like you just have a constant nice weather um i'm not sure what that would feel like because i'm used to <laughs> all seasons some of them absolutely awful yeah yeah i i am one of those people who likes to visit the snow but i've been been told it's not something that I want to live in. <laughs> not so. I, as someone who does live in snow, I, I completely agree with that. <laughs> so, so we first connected uh, because I came across a interesting article about you, where a uh, the writer talked about women who were in blockchain and cryptocurrency. Oh my gosh, my favorite article ever. <laughs> yes, um, which is less of an article and more of just the list. Yes. So, so, um, so I'm curious how. So how did that that list article happen? Okay, it's such a funny story. First, I'll preface this by saying I know nothing about cryptocurrency. Um, my boyfriend is very involved in it, but I am not. Um, and I think what happened was I joined a LinkedIn group at some point in my life. You know, we all join a LinkedIn group. This comes back later in the story. I have no idea where that feature lives on LinkedIn because I tried to leave this group. Um, But a woman read an article that I wrote that was called what it's like to be a woman at a tech conference that got it went pretty viral. People, you know, shared it a lot. It's basically about the experience of, 
you know, being one of 10 women out of a hundred or a thousand people at these um, mostly male dominated tech events. And it was a very kind of comedic, lighthearted approach to it. And uh, I think because of that article, a woman reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested if you ever visit New York to talk to our women in crypto group? And so I joined the group and didn't end up giving the talk, but then never left the group because never thought about it again. And then I kept getting these emails and tweets and DMs that were saying, hey, you know, I found you on this women in crypto list. And I'm thinking that's weird that this group is getting a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that someone just scraped all those names from the group and added them to a giant list of like, quote unquote, influencers and uh, thought leaders. And it's been really funny because I've I've been sharing on Twitter um, all of the opportunities that have been coming my way. And there have been women who have tweeted back to, at me saying things like, I've been in this space for four years and I've never been put in an article. So <laughs> I, we keep joking, my, my boyfriend and I, that he should he should moonlight, he should ghostwrite as me. Um, but it's it's been pretty funny uh, since I have zero knowledge on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. It's It's kind of funny how things like that seem to work out. And it's in alphabetical order, so I'm towards the top of the list, which is why I think I'm getting more messages than other people. So it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> it could, yeah, I I, I did I, I did check out the list, and and you're right, it is just like the person's name, title, and then link to their LinkedIn account. So it's uh, yeah, very well researched. My friend Jennifer just tagged me in a tweet that said, oh, for $300, you can get access to all these people in crypto. And she said, oh, I wonder if you're on this. Honestly, I would not be surprised. And if you do find my name on that and you do pay $300 to get access to that list, you should ask for your money back because it's definitely not hand curated. Um, but, you know, crypto, I'm a, I'm a thought leader. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a thought leader. <laughs> So I'd like to start from the beginning, and that is to talk about your first career in theater and yeah. how you first got involved in theater. Sure. So I uh, I didn't choose the theater life. The theater life kind of chose me in a way. My dad is a director and playwright, um, mm -hmm. most known for his, his play The Chicago Conspiracy Trial, which toured around and ran for a really long time, as well as uh, Rap Master Ronnie, which was something that I think even played in San Francisco for a while. Um, and my mother was a costume designer. So I literally grew up in the theater um, from as early as I can remember. I was sitting in on auditions and rehearsals and in my mom's costume shop. She was also a, um, a graphic designer. So I, I very much grew up in an artistic family um, and never really thought about any other career path. I think there was maybe a hot second when I was little where I thought, oh, I want to be a senator just because I learned what a senator was. But that was very short lived. Um, and I grew up doing, you know, musical theater summer camps. Um, I ended up eventually going to a performing arts high school. Um, so I was really, really immersed in the arts, um, loved musical theater. I, I watched every VHS slash DVD at Blockbuster in the musical section from A to Z. Um, 
like from Annie to Xanadu, I guess that's an X. Uh, so I really like, I had my blinders on. I wanted to do musicals. I, um, you know, was very successful in it, you know, kind of big fish in a small pond, of course, cause I was living in Sacramento at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up going to San Francisco state and I got my, um, BA in theater performance in drama as my boyfriend likes to remind me all the time. I have a, a degree in drama cause I'm very dramatic all the time. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I I did pretty well. I started to, you know, do some community theater and summer stock at Woodminster and regional theater. And um, right around the time that I graduated, I booked my very, very first, you know, big starring role at, at this theater company. I did Xanadu. Um, and my, you know, my picture was in the lobby on a cardboard cutout. And I, I was in the paper. And it was sort of this, like, wow, I really made it kind of moment. Uh-huh. But then when it was time to get my check, I realized, oh, wow, you're going to pay me $500 for three to four months of my life. Um, so that was kind of a reality check because <laughs> nobody in theater school sits you down and says, do you know how much you're going to make as an actress? Right. Um, so uh, I, I quickly realized, okay, I need a day job. And um, I was living in San Francisco. So, of course, I kind of stumbled into tech. Mm-hmm. I think my very first tech job was at Yelp as a salesperson, and I didn't know what sales was. Um, Yelp was relatively new. This was pre-IPO. So I basically was cold calling people and saying, hey, have you heard about your Yelp page? Um, And, uh, you know, the story kind of goes on from there. Um, But I was doing theater nights and weekends. um, And then during the day, I was working at startups. And uh, that was everything from office management to admin. I was an executive assistant for a really long time. Um, And it was really fun. uh, But I didn't really understand what a lot of these, you know, engineers did at these companies. That was, like, not in my awareness whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But um, my like, like, as I said, my blinders were totally on. My day job was to just support my theater hobby, really. Um, I ended up probably, gosh, I never counted how many shows I did in the Bay Area, but just off the top of my head, I did Pirates of Penzance. I did two hairsprays. I did Singing in the Rain. I did Shrek the Musical. I did Spelling Bee. I, it was great. I did Carrie the Musical. Um, I got to do a, re- a lot of awesome musicals, a lot of not-so-awesome musicals. Um, and really got to live that theater life for quite a long time. Um, and it wasn't until maybe, gosh, two and a half, three years ago that I kind of started to think about not doing theater, which was a huge, like, whoa, like, (laughs) not do theater. Like, how do I even think about that? But it's been a big, big part of my life, um, my entire life. I still go see a lot of theater and support theater. But, yeah, it's a I've spent a majority of my life on the stage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. So what was that moment where you decided that maybe you didn't want to do theater anymore? Um, well, I, I, at the time, um, was working at a company called Nuco, um, really cool company that basically they, they do conferences, but the venue is the city. So for example, you would go to, uh, you know, Silicon Valley and instead of staying in one conference venue, you actually go into all the different startups and hear talks from all the different, you know, founders, marketing people. It's really, really cool. Um, and I was the assistant to John Battelle, who runs Nuco. He's the he's the co-founder, CEO. And I got to pick what 
talks I wanted to see at this conference because I got a free ticket. Mm -hmm. I was kind of tagging along and um, there was one at Google and I was like, oh my God, I have to go see what the inside of Google looks like. Um, Of course, this particular talk was probably in the most boring part of Google's campus. Um, (laughs) But I ended up going just on a complete whim and it was a talk about getting more young women, specifically, you know, high school, um, middle school age involved and exposed to programming. And um, up until this point, didn't know what coding was, had no awareness of it. And I'm listening to this talk and they're saying, oh, you know, we want to add more characters to Disney Channel and Nickelodeon shows and just show them that engineers don't have to look like a white dude. Um, And at this point, I'm kind of sitting there going, wow, this sounds really cool. They talked about girls who code. They talked about all these different programs that they were putting in place. And I walked away from that talk, Googling girls who code kind of went, oh, this is for high school girls um, and thought, well, my ship has sailed. I wish, you know, these programs were around when I was younger. And I had just started dating my boyfriend, who is an Android developer. And I mentioned this to him and he said, well, you know, you can still learn, right? Which had never crossed my mind. I thought this is something that you have to go to school for and you know I'm just stuck with what I have um so I I ended up taking a class online just a really simple I think it was a Udemy or Udacity class that was intro to iPhone programming um and made a little app and went whoa this is crazy I can do this like I've I've never really considered myself someone who could just pick up a skill um as complicated as this. So I kind of played around with coding a little bit more. And um, once I realized that this was something I could make a career out of, uh, I started to kind of take a step back and look at, you know, how I was feeling about theater. I had just started dating this guy that I really liked, but all my nights and weekends were being taken up by this theater hobby. And um, just like little things like You know, he had a Twitter holiday party and I wanted to go to the holiday party, but I had a show that I was doing or even things along the lines of at the time I was doing a show that I really it was a really bad experience. I really wasn't having fun. And I thought to myself, okay, what do I like about theater? I like to sing. Okay, I like the costumes. I like the wigs. So I tried to figure out what it was that was keeping me with there and what it was that I wasn't liking. And what I wasn't liking was the amount of time that it took up in my life. Um, I was putting so much time and energy into it and just not getting a whole lot back, not even necessarily financially, but just like emotionally. It was it, you know, I put 110% of myself into my shows, but I wasn't doing that with my day job because my day job was just sort of there to support myself. So, um, so yeah. And then once I learned about boot camps and kind of what a boot camp was and how I could, you know, I didn't have to go to a four-year college. I could try this crazy boot camp thing. That was when my wheels started turning and I thought, okay, what if I put all of my time and energy that I put towards theater into literally anything else, what would happen? Mm-hmm. And uh, now I, now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. And so have there been, how, well, I guess, how has, how have your, your acting skills and your acting background helped in your, your day job as a coder? Oh my gosh. Like I use my acting skills in so many ways, which is so funny because when I first started this, you know, I hate to say the word journey, but um, journey into tech, uh, I had a lot of anger about the amount of time that I'd spent in the arts thinking, oh, my God, there's people like my boyfriend who've been doing this since they're a little kid. And here I am, you know, 26 years old, like, you know, 
doing a new career. What am I doing? This is so dumb. But it turns out that my theater degree has probably been the most valuable thing in this industry. Um, so in particular, I, I, I ended up working as a developer evangelist, which is what I do now. Mm-hmm. And basically what that is, I like to explain it uh, as an extroverted engineer. Um, so I sit on the marketing team. I'm an engineer, but a lot of what I do is very forward facing. So I make a lot of tutorials. I do a lot of writing. I speak at a lot of conferences, which is really where the theater degree is super useful um, because uh, spoiler alert, engineers hate public speaking. Most of them do. Um, and What's funny is I give talks. Um, that's that's part of my job. I'll go to meetups or I'll travel and and give a talk in Atlanta or Dublin or wherever. And a lot of times people will come up to me and say, wow, that's one of the best talks I've ever seen. And I have to go. Thank you. That's very sweet. It's probably not the best talk you've ever seen, but I've been public speaking, you know, for over 20 years. Like this has been my bread and butter. Right. <laughs> so a lot of it is like, you know, imposter syndrome, but like fake it till you make it. Um but also just things along the lines of I one of my things that I do at Century is I run a monthly meetup and um, I ended up using a lot of my stage management skills, my theater skills, my director skills to create this meetup that was actually enjoyable because I, you know, I'm this theater person and I went to so many events in tech and was just like kind of shocked by how boring they were. Um Namely, people, you know, product announcements or meetups where people go up in front of a crowd and they, first of all, don't want to be there. They'd rather be anywhere else. And they go, we're so excited to present this thing. And it's like, are you, are you actually excited? Because you look like you want to die right now. Um, so, you know, even just like, for example, most meetups, you go to them, cold pizza, warm beer, not so fun. But mm-hmm. our meetup is scouts themed. We have like commemorative patches for each one. We had someone sing an original song at the last one. So I think like I come to this industry as this quirky kind of, you know, unique individual who's who's not your traditional software engineer who went to a four year college. I'm this theater girl who has somehow convinced people that (laughs) she knows what she's doing. Um, But it's fun because as a result, a lot of the feedback that I get is, wow, we would have never thought to do this. And it's like, yeah, that's what you get by bringing in diverse, you know, creative people into this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that might bring us to the article that you wrote over the summer about being a woman in tech. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious, <laughs> so what, what prompted you to write that article? And um, so I read it and it's absolutely hilarious, but so oh, could, thank can you, you. <laughs> talk a little more about your experiences? Because it's, well, when I go to these meetups, of course, I'm, I, I am not a coder, but I'm a guy. So it's a little bit different when I go there, but um, it is very obvious in a lot of these meetups that there's, again, like one or two women. So what what prompted you to do this and what was your experience from that side? Sure. So there's a couple things. So I was newer to the industry and I am so used to the theater world being the exact opposite. You go to an audition and there's like, gosh, 70 girls being called back for one role and then like two guys called back for the two, maybe three male parts. Um, so it was a huge culture shock for me um, to be a woman in tech. Uh in particular, there's a couple moments that stand out in my mind that kind of prompted wanting to write it. The first one being uh, being at a conference and it felt like a movie. I, I got my lunch from the lunch line and I looked around the room and everyone was staring at me. I was literally the only woman in this cafeteria area. And it wasn't embarrassing or like scary. It was just like, whoa, this is 
insane. Um, there was another instance where, you know, I, I was at a meetup and I was giving the talk at the meetup and all these men lined up in front of my, you know, the area that I was setting up my presentation. And I looked up and said, can I help you? And they said, is this where we check in? <laughs> And I was like, no, I'm the speaker, but and they were, you know, they're very apologetic. Um, and then also just hearing other people's experiences. I'm, I'm very lucky that I've only had a handful of kind of shitty, you know, oh, God, I roll like, please don't say that you're going to sit at the table with the hot nerds or I will go tell you to fuck off. Um, but I think mainly what it was was hearing and talking to my other male allies and friends in the industry and kind of hearing what they were saying about, you know, I really want to be an ally and I want to support women, but there is a lot of aggressiveness um, towards this subject and it, it's difficult to have a conversation with someone. For example, you know, if someone comes up to a booth that I'm working at, cause like y'all can Google a photo of me. I'm super quirky. I have sparkle glasses. I usually wear bright lipstick. Like I don't look like, an engineer. Like if you did a lineup, you'd probably be like, that girl is maybe a musical theater actress, maybe Zoe Deschanel's personal assistant. I'm not really sure. Um, but I think, you know, my response when someone comes up to me and says, hey, can I talk to one of the engineers at your booth? You know, I, I'll laugh and I'll say, like, actually, I am an engineer. Like, is it the sparkle glasses? Like what? You know, I like to educate versus getting angry about those mistakes. Um and I think that that's kind of the thing that people have responded to the most from that article. Like, yeah, it's funny. Like the bathroom lines are never long and you're never going to get a t-shirt that fits you like usually. Um, and these are just kind of these common shared experiences that I wanted to share. But also I wanted to share like I, I think that. I'm actually writing a follow-up article to it because the the thing that I have people talk to me most about that article was it was the first time I ever read an article that came from it from not only a comedic approach, but just a, a pleasant, not pleasant, a, a more approachable um, view of feminism, because I think we're just so used to the aggressive, you know, like, how dare you assume I'm not an engineer kind of mentality, which I do think there is a time and a place for. I think that, um, you know, obviously, as I mentioned before, I, I was at a conference once and a person sat down with his son at a table I was at and said, this is the key to like, you know, a conference sit where the hot nerds are. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, no, like, I, I don't even think I reacted. I just left. Cause I was like, you don't want to hear what I have to say right now. Um, but you know, so like I said, there's a time and a place to get angry, but that, I don't think that time and a place is when someone makes a simple mistake. Um, I'm actually listening to an audio book right now about, uh, nonviolent communication. Um, and it's true. Like when you're at Thanksgiving with your, you know, racist uncle or something, like <laughs> you can argue with him across the table or you can actually kind of hear him out and uh, educate him on your views um, versus the kind of aggressive approach. So I totally get that it's not for everyone, but I'm a very big advocate for approachable feminism and, you know, making this topic a little more like lighthearted, not in the sense that it's not an important issue, but that it's something that we're all, all experiencing and it sucks, but like, mm -hmm. it's just kind of how the way it's going to take a long time to get more women in this industry. I hope that, you know, having people like myself and, um, you know, other people out in the industry being a little more forward facing gets young women really excited about that. Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of came from all these like weird 
scenarios that I was in where I would look around and go, oh, my God, like, I don't see any women. Like, what is happening? And why doesn't anything fit me? Like, this world is built for a dude. <laughs> and I am, like, the opposite of a dude. <laughs> sure. So when you're at the conferences, what so what types of uh, subjects do you speak about? Um, so nowadays, most of my talks are on um, observability. So specifically, um, how to just have like a full view of your application's health through logging, metrics, errors. Sentry is an error, um, an error reporting and alerting tool that basically pulls all of that data together. Mm -hmm. um, and then back in the day when I was working at CodeFresh, most of my talks were on Docker. So I did a lot of um, evangelism for the Docker community. Um, and then every once in a while, I do uh, diversity talks. Not as much because uh, I actually have a tweet in my drafts that I've been meaning to, to tweet out for a while. Um, ironically enough, these diversity conferences for being so pro equal pay and all of that don't pay <laughs> <laughs> for your hotel and flight. Although I'm going to one in Atlanta soon. We rise conference. It's awesome. I'm super excited for it. Um, and, and they are paying for accommodations, but Oh my gosh, it's like, I I'm, I'm to a point now where I'm just like, you, if you're going to do a diversity talk and a diversity track at your conference, like maybe pay your speakers to kind of, you know, say, put, put your money where your mouth is. Um, but yeah, and I also give a lot of talks uh, to women in tech groups just about kind of finding your gimmick, um, uh, which is actually a quote from the musical Gypsy, um, where the whole reason that I ended up in evangelism is I, I had a light bulb moment at my all-female software engineering engineering school where um, we had to present our final project and everyone, I looked around the room and everyone was scared out of their wits to give the talk. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is the easiest, best part. All we have to do is talk about our app. Like making it was our talking about it's easy. <laughs> and that was like a really big epiphany for me of, Oh, mm -hmm. this is a really unique skill. Um, my boyfriend actually does a little bit of evangelism as well. And uh, when I, kind of saw what he did and got to see all the cool places that he traveled and all the cool kind of networking he did. I thought, Oh, that's, that's me. Like that's where I fit in this world. Um, so although I may not be in the trenches and um, contributing to the code base as much as other engineers, uh, I, I definitely, you know, I, I'm very much an advocate for especially people like myself who enter the industry a lot later to say, OK, what is it that makes you special? Or as they say in Gypsy, what makes your strip special? Because they're all strippers um, and kind of say like, oh, you're a teacher. So like you have this teaching background, like here's all these awesome, you know, education startups to look at um, or even, you know, coming to the industry with a very specific expertise or even, um, you know, hobby or passion or background like that is really your your selling point at these companies oftentimes. Mm -hmm. So when you were transitioning and actually even nowadays, what what are some of your favorite books that have helped you uh, become more comfortable in your new role? Oh, man. Um I recently just finished, I've been talking about this book to everyone I know. Um, Gretchen Rubin has a book, I listened to the audio book called Better Than Before. Mm -hmm. And it's a habit, uh, it's, it's a book all about the science and um, kind of the, the, the way that we develop habits and work on habits. So that one has been super valuable to me because uh, particularly I, I come to this industry 
from this office management background where I could check things off a to-do list and engineering is nothing like that. It's just everything's ongoing forever and ever. Um, so that's been very helpful. Also, when I first started out as a evangelist, my um, manager at CodeFresh, Dan Garfield, gave me a book on DevOps, which I'm told, oh, The Phoenix Project, um, which was all about um, kind of putting DevOps uh kind of stuff into practice at a company. It's, it's a fictional book, but there's also like a companion to it that dives into the details of that. So that was really helpful for me because I think from someone who just had not been in the industry at all, like it was very eye-opening to like, wow, some companies have no systems and some of them do. That's really cool. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to think of also uh, when I first started, not a book, but um I listened to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, which I eventually got to be on, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, just about hearing about other people's transitions into the software engineering world from various backgrounds. But um, book-wise, those would probably be... I'm also reading a book right now on fear by... Gosh, I don't know how to say his name, but he's a Buddhist monk, and it's awesome. Because um, I'm actually writing a talk right now with Mike Coleman about how fear affects us in engineering practices and as developers. So I've, I've been reading this interesting blend of sci-fi and books on fear lately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it probably makes me sound very paranoid, but um, yeah, <laughs> that's been my reading list lately. <laughs> sure. Well, that's, it sounds very interesting. Very nice. Yeah. What would you say has been the best investment you've ever made? Oh gosh. I mean, honestly, Going to Hackbright, um, I Hackbright is the uh, software engineering boot camp that I went to. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was really scary at first because, oh my gosh, that's so much money to invest and time, and you know, you kind of you quit your job and you you pay a bunch of money to go to this thing, and I think it's really spooky to, um, you know, I was making I, I was making about a third, maybe even half of what I make now when I was, uh, when I made this career transition. So, um, I would say Hackbright a hundred percent, just, it changed my life. Um, I not only learned, like, I mean, it was really, really intense. Like I don't want to gloss over the fact that going to a boot camp and doing a 12 week program is absolutely insane and a fire hose of information being thrown at you. <laughs> but if I hadn't gone to Hackbright, my life would be so different. Um, Namely, because not only did Hackbright, you know, prepare me for my first job, but I got my job at Sentry because I met uh, Katie Lensgard at a Docker um, intro to Docker class when I was first starting out with Docker and we ended up getting coffee. So my network, uh, I, there's two women who have worked at Sentry, Dina, and, as well as Katie, and we went out for coffee. I wasn't even job searching and we just kind of talked about Sentry. And I, if, if I hadn't had that network of women that I, you know, have in my back pocket, I, I don't think I would be here today. I certainly wouldn't be an engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like a really, I think I not only paid for the education, but I paid for this like amazing supportive group of like, I was never in a sorority or anything like that in college. I mean, theater, in a way, every time you do a show, you make these really close friends and then you never see them again. And it's, it's kind of this crazy, weird, bizarre, you know, blink of an eye thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, just any engineering class that I took on Code School and Hackbright have in Treehouse, Team Treehouse have been the best investments that I've made. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, good. 
how do you approach times when you're apprehensive and fearful and how do you push past that fear? Oh, wow. Um, I have this issue a lot. I think because a lot of what I do in my role, I, you know, I, it's my first, sometimes it's my first time doing it. And I think what I have a lot of difficulty with is, um, I make things very big and scary in my mind and then I actually do them and go, Oh my God, that took me like 20 minutes. Why didn't I do this before? <laughs> um, there's a couple ways that I've gotten around that. Uh, one of them is I recently got diagnosed with ADHD. So now I take medication for that, which helps me get around those kind of like barriers of, uh, procrastinating and, and, um, be able to kind of get there a little bit faster than I did before. Um, and also I think I've failed enough times now, <laughs> not failed, not like royally <laughs> fucked up or anything like that, but I've fallen on my face enough times now that I'm totally okay with asking for help. Um, I, you know, with engineering, it's definitely one of those things where you try it a couple times, you write down all the ways that you did it, and then you go to someone for help and say, like, hey, here's all the things I tried. Help me. Um, and I was very proud of when I first started coding, um, especially at Hackbrite, uh, where I would work on a problem for hours and hours and hours instead of, you know, reaching out to a TA or something. Mm -hmm. um, and the best, like, thing that I've done when I get really fearful is to either – reach out to a mentor or um, a coworker. I mean, I'm super lucky here at Century because everyone is so nice and supportive. And we have a lot of uh, boot camp grads here as well as, um, you know, people with non-traditional backgrounds. So it's a very supportive, welcoming place. And, uh, yeah, I think just doing it and also just asking. Um, one of my favorite stories ever is uh, when I first started out job searching there were a lot of people that I wanted to take out to coffee, but I was super scared to ask them. Mm -hmm. uh, and <laughs> I've now realized, because people now ask me to go get coffee all the time, and um, I, I think that the worst thing that could happen is someone says no, which, like, seems really scary, but it's actually, like, not a big deal at all. So just asking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, actually, that, so that brings up an interesting idea. How – so as, as somebody who has approached people and, and – um, ask them out for coffee to to get some advice. How do you prefer people approach you when they're doing that? And what are some bad ways that people have um, tried to do that? Ooh, so I actually just wrote a blog about this that I think I'm publishing tomorrow or tonight. Um, so I actually got to a point recently where um, when I first started out, I loved getting coffee with people and I loved, you know, doing all the things, podcasts and writing articles and mentoring. And um, there's just so many awesome opportunities in the tech industry to say yes to. And I'm a very yes and person with my theater <laughs> background. Um, so there's a whole blog about this that y'all can check out on Medium. But um, TLDR, uh, I got to a point where I've had to learn to say no uh, a lot of times. And that's really difficult because in theater, you say yes to everything because exposure is like the number one thing that you can do, um, be that taking a role in the ensemble or volunteering at an audition or something like that. Um, so I have gotten to a point now where I have realized, OK, like I can't say yes to every conference that comes into my inbox and I can't get coffee with every young woman who's looking to make the transition into tech. Um, so just yesterday I created a template 
that has all of the links to all the podcasts and all the different um, things that I've been on that I send to people looking for mentorship and say, hey, I don't have time for coffee, but you can listen to me in your ear and it's going to be the same combo. <laughs> um, so I've kind of automated that process, which makes me sad because I love meeting people and I love talking to people, but you know, I also have to work. Um, and I think that there's a lot of um, this industry. It's a lot of like hustle, hustle, go, go, go. Um, but one of the most valuable things that I have learned from, you know, my boyfriend and my manager and my mentor, Jerome as well um, is saying no is okay and you can't do everything or you will die <laughs> um, you will there is not enough time in the day um so i'm actually kind of a, i'm a big promoter of like this is my year of no um i just got a shirt at target that says nope on it um and it's really hard because i'm the kind of person who likes to say yes and and like oh let me do that and i'll take on this thing as well mm-hmm. um but I, uh, I'm kind of automating it now, which is cool. So I'm very, I'm a lot more selective these days on, you know, what I, what I spend my time on and what I, the projects that I do choose to take on. Um, but that's all to say that that's so I can get my own OKRs and, you know, what not done. So I can, I, so in this, uh, habits book that I mentioned before, Mm-hmm. there's four different tendencies that people typically fall under. Um, I think one is a rebel, a questioner, an obliger. And there's a fourth one. I can't think of the fourth one, but I am an obliger, which means that I do really well with external deadlines when people hold me accountable for things. And as a result, I have to kind of keep myself in check of like, does this benefit me or does this benefit the other person more? And if so, like take a step back and, and kind of reconfigure my um, priorities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I actually, this is very fresh in my mind because I just, I literally just wrote a blog about it. It has like a picture of Nancy <laughs> Reagan holding a just say no Jersey on it. Cause I, I have a problem. Like I love, I love to be involved in projects. I love to talk to people. I love to mentor people, but you know, there comes a point where there's just too many things. <laughs> there's too many awesome things in the tech world to do. <laughs> yeah. So as, as somebody who does help people transition and give advice um, into the tech world, what, so what advice would you give somebody who is, is trying to do that? And let's say maybe they're starting from a creative career over to tech And what advice would you tell them that they should just totally ignore and it's completely awful? Yeah, I think that the best advice I can give is to just try it. Like, first of all, I get a lot of people, especially like my theater friends who say, hey, this looks really interesting. And they take a class on code school for like a day and then they're like, this is hard. I don't want to do it. (laughs) Um, But that's just the nature of the beast. Um, I think the best advice that I can give from a theatrical standpoint um, and something that I struggled with was my theater degree and my theater career was mostly memorization. So be that memorizing lines or in a theater history class, memorizing facts. And it's a lot more like choreography. You really have to code and get it in your body and practice it. And um, I remember like vividly, I was working with my uh, instructor at Hackbright, and I said, I'm just not getting it. Like, it's not sticking with me. And she said, well, how are you studying? And I said, well, I read the chapters every night. And she's like, no, no, no. Like, you need to actually do the exercises and, like, you know, like, repeat them. And and that was a really big uh, 
eye-opening moment for me because I, you know, my entire education up until that point was very, very different. Um, so my first piece of advice would be don't, don't give up. Like it's hard. Keep going at it. Um, and also I think there's a lot, my biggest struggle that I had when I was job searching, especially for my first job, um, not so much for my second job because the first job is the hardest one. Second job is like, Easy peasy. Um, but the first job, uh, you know, I didn't have a computer science degree. I was this girl whose LinkedIn and resume said, hey, I used to be an actress and uh, hire me as an engineer, um, which is crazy. And like you Google me and my theater website pops up like, what is this girl doing? Um, so any interview that I had up until that point was here's my resume. I'm a nice person. And suddenly I'm this engineer and I have to, you know, solve an algorithm on a whiteboard and talk about an application that I built and do all these coding challenges. And it's, it's absolutely insane. Like it's, and it's not something that ever goes away. Like, you know, if you're an engineer, like even my boyfriend, he's been doing this forever um, and he's very senior, he has to study for interviews before he does them. So um, that's probably the biggest learning hurdle is going, wow, I'm going to get a lot of rejection, but luckily auditions totally prepare you for that. <laughs> Um, and you don't have to solve the algorithm correctly necessarily. They're really just listening to how you work through the problem. And, and, uh, but I would say the, the best advice that I could give would just be to own your, your expertise, just kind of own what you come to this industry with. And there's going to be a lot of times where you're wanting to cry and kick and scream because you've sent out like a hundred applications and all these filtering softwares keep filtering you out because you don't have a degree and you can't do an internship because you're not enrolled in a college. And um, there are genuinely companies out there who want to hire junior engineers. And if they're smart, they will hire a bootcamp grad. Um, I think that there's kind of a stigma against like, Oh, you know, we interviewed a bootcamp grad once and it was a bad experience. Well, hmm. not all boot camp grads or boot camps are created equally. And also you can ramp someone up so quickly. Like I think a lot of people don't know how to interview boot camp grads too. Like they're so different from a junior engineer with a CS degree. Um, and I think, you know, don't give up. <laughs> it's very easy to want to give up. I was very lucky that I had my boyfriend through this whole process because, you know, he's a pro, he's been doing this forever. And he's like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Of course, I'm like crying the whole time being like, it's not going to happen. Um, but it, you know, if, if I can do it, gosh, anybody can do it. But, yeah. um, also I just think, you know, don't let the fact that you learned that you're learning this later deter you from doing this because I mean, people are always shocked when they find out that I've only been working in this industry. I think, gosh, it's March a year. Like I've been a developer evangelist for a year now. Um, and I think, it just goes to show like the more that we get bootcamp grads out there and in front of people and saying loud and proud that they're a bootcamp um, graduate, the more kind of street cred these programs get. And who knows if bootcamps will be around in a year or two, like maybe they'll, maybe they're a fad, but I'm just a huge advocate for like people like myself. Like if I, if all the stars didn't align and I didn't hear that talk at Google and I wasn't dating my boyfriend, I'd probably still be, a miserable office manager working at a vaporizer company in the mission. Like, and I hated my job. Like I cried in the bathroom and I felt invisible and I didn't feel like my, you know, career was going anywhere. And I think the best investment you can make is in yourself. And it's very emotional. 
emotional journey, but if you really keep your eye on the prize, you will get there. That was a long answer, but (laughs) (laughs) that was great. It was very thorough. I, I appreciate that. So in the last few years, has there been a new belief, behavior, or habit that has most improved your life? Ooh, belief, behavior, or habit. I recently started working out. <laughs> um, I I mean, up until recently, my extent of a workout was I took a couple of ballet classes here or there because I was a terrible dancer when I did musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have found that when I wake up in the morning, I get a workout in, um, I am just a much more pleasant and productive person. <laughs> so that has been very helpful. Um, Um, And also just developing kind of these key habits for myself this year. Um, You know, for example, I try to make sure that I code every day and that I work out every day and I keep track. I have an app on my phone. I think it's called Habit Tracker or something really simple like that, where I really mark off, um, you know, the the things that I really want to make sure to do every week. So that can be writing, um, going over my finances, you know, crafting, doing laundry. And I've sort of set it up so I can track my progress on those things. Um, and as a result, I'm happier because I get to do all the things that I said I was going to do. Um, but also, uh, I, I, it just kind of gives me, it gives me that kind of holistic view of happy Chloe. My motto this year is make future Chloe happy. So um, that manifests itself in a couple different ways. One of them being, you know, if I set out my clothes the night before, I won't be scrambling around in the morning to get ready for the gym. Or if I work out now, I won't be crying into a bag of donuts over the weekend because I'm not working out. Um, so it's kind of this idea of setting myself up for success in the future. It's I, I'm super like I I play myself off as an extrovert, but I'm an introverted extrovert and I need my recharge time. So really making sure that like I'm keeping myself accountable of, you know, taking the time to read and and have my Chloe time, but also making sure that, you know, I am working on projects and seeing friends and stuff. And that habit forming book has really helped me have an awareness on that. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> That's great. So with everything that you've done and experienced, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice I've ever received. Ooh, that is such a tough question. So many people have given me good advice. Um, I think it's not necessarily advice, but maybe awareness. I guess it is advice in a sense. Um, pretty early on in my career, Uh, As an evangelist, a very good friend of mine, Jerome, had mentioned to me that burnout is a very real thing. And this was at a time that I was just starting out in the industry. I was saying yes to every conference and traveling a bunch and taking on a lot of projects. Um, And I I think at the time when he told me that, I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, but flying is so glamorous and I get to travel and it's so cool. And like, oh, my God. Um, And Jerome actually came out with an article uh, last week, um, announcing his departure from Docker, which I think he had been at for about seven years and talking about kind of the emotional toll that that burnout had taken on him. And it was very vulnerable and truthful and like really wonderful to read. Um, so I think for me, 
uh, kind of this, this idea of saying no is okay. Um, and burnout is real. I try to do that with a lot of young women that I see saying like, yes, yes, yes to all the opportunities. And I'm like, okay, cool. But also like learn how to be an engineer. Like that's, that's your number one priority. Like, like please focus on yourself too. Cause I've, I've fallen into that trap a lot. Um, mm-hmm. so I think the power of no, and there's always going to be like awesome opportunities. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a good problem to have, but, um, you know, you might have to say no to giving that talk in Athens and that sucks. Like everyone wants to go to Athens and have a trip paid for them. Oh my God. But you also have to get your work done. (laughs) Um, so I think, you know, learning that it's okay to say no, it hurts a lot less than it sounds. Um, and you know, there's always going to be a what if, but the power of no. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to find you online and read more of your work, what's the best place they can do that? Yeah. Um, so I'm on Twitter, um, just my name at Chloe Condon, um, and LinkedIn. And I don't post on Facebook as much anymore. I'm trying to do a Facebook detox right now. Um, and I'm on Instagram as git, G-I-T, forked, um, which is, a engineering pun, or if you watch uh, The Good Place, it's, it's kind of a good place pun, too. Um, and I post mostly food pictures and quirky engineering things that are happening at Century over there. And also, if you're in San Francisco and you like meetups and you like camp and you like to eat s'mores and hot chocolate, um, we do a monthly meetup in the Bay Area called Century Scouts. Um, and we're on Twitter and meetup and all those things. And if you want to meet in person or or be on one of our panels, um, definitely reach out. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I will make sure those are all in the show notes so people can click right through. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm always down to to do to talk mentorship and to do things and I can send a bunch of links and resources. So I don't want to like deter anybody from reaching out, but um, you know, just, just poke me a couple times on Twitter DMS and I'll get back to people. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Again, thank you so much, Chloe. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the advance your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.